Give them all the time they need. Amen. <laughs> Give them all the time they need. Okay, so it'll be a little bit hard for me to focus, just to let you know. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, praise the Lord for our young people. Amen. And out of the mouth of babes, uh, praise is perfected. Do I need to put this up a little bit higher? Yeah. <laughs> Are we coming out okay? A little bit. <clears throat> How's your week been, friends? On a scale of thumbs down to thumbs up, can you just kind of give me a visual? Okay. Yeah. Amen. Okay. We've got some sides. Some... Hey, it's okay. The week's not over yet. There's a little bit of time left. A little bit of time left. Friends, it's the Sabbath day. It is the Sabbath day. And I tell you what, um, maybe the tempo and rhythm of your week has been, uh, has been a little bit faster than your legs can keep up with, but I praise the Lord that it's Sabbath. Um, it's good to see faces that we haven't seen in a while. Barbara, so glad that you could be here, that you've got the energy and strength of that. Praise the Lord. Shana, welcome back home. Welcome back home. And I'm sure that there are others. Um, thank you so much for, yeah, for the privilege of being part of this church family. Hey, we're going to start our message this morning is the mission in motion. And this is part four, which is, it's the conclusion of our series, mission in motion, part four. The reason why we're concluding it is because next Sabbath, as I mentioned before, next Sabbath, we're actually uh, using the next three Sabbaths as part of our Prophecies of Hope seminar. So we're going to catch some messages that will actually be part of that seminar. If you don't want to feel like you're trying to catch up, then I suggest that you start attending even now. Amen? Um, anyways, Mission in Motion Part 4, and the subtitle is Open Wide. Uh, before we even pray, uh, I want to open up to a promise in the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 81. Psalm chapter 81 I'm so used to saying Psalm 81 in your seminar Bible or whatever it might be. Uh, Psalm 81. And we're going to take a look at a promise in verse 10. Psalm 81, verse 10. Psalm is about halfway through the Bible. Psalm 81, verse 10. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Psalm 81, verse 10. God is speaking and he says this. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Can you say amen to that? God is God, and he's the one who brings us out of bondage. He's the one who brings us out of slavery. But notice this, he's giving us an instruction and a promise. He says this, open your mouth, how? Wide, and I will fill it. God says, open up wide, open your mouth wide, open your hearts wide, open your lives wide, open to me, because you can expect with divine anticipation that I will fill it. Open your mouths wide, and I will fill it. Friends, I believe God wants to give us something today and every day. I believe God wants to not only give us something, but he wants to give something through us as well. And so we're going to bow our heads together as we dive into this message, Mission in Motion, Part 4, Open Wide. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are the Lord God, that you have brought us out of Egypt. Lord, it's your hand that created the heavens and the earth. It's your, it's your word that made something out of nothing. And Lord, that same word is, is what we're listening for today. 
We pray that as we open the Bible, we would hear the voice of the living God. And that your promise would be fulfilled as we open our mouths wide, Lord, please, fill them. Some of us may have come totally empty-handed. Our pockets are spiritually empty, so to speak. And Lord, we long to be filled with your goodness and your grace. So today, as we open up the Bible, please open up our mouths wide and fill them. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. We're going to go now to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. And this is where we'll hang out, so go ahead and keep a bookmark there, a piece of paper. Speaking of paper, if you have something to write with, you may want to take some notes because today we're going to look at a story of a particular, you can call him a hero, a hero in the book of Acts. You remember that the book of Acts actually begins with a, in chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, there's a picture of the resurrected Lord. The risen Savior is speaking with his disciples, and you may remember, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are asking him, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? they still got earthly things on their minds. And Jesus says, no, no, it's not for us to know the times and seasons. But he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for something. And what is it that they're supposed to wait for? In Acts chapter 1, he says, wait for the promise of the Father, right? Actually, go ahead and flip there. Even before you're in Acts 8, sorry about that. Go ahead and flip to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, if you're there, say amen. All right. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here Jesus is giving the disciples a commission. He's saying, hey, don't focus so much on earthly kingdoms, but instead wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you so you can be a witness to me. And did you notice the ever-widening spheres of influence that Jesus is commissioning them to, to seek after? That you shall be witnesses to me in first Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and then where? To the end of the earth. Right? It starts right at home, right where they were, and then Judea, the surrounding area. And in case their, their hearts were still filled with prejudice, he even mentioned specifically Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. Right? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is often looked at as the, the table of contents, so to speak, for the book of Acts. If you start kind of mapping the storyline throughout the book of Acts, you notice that the ministry actually starts in Jerusalem. It expands to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then where? To the ends of the earth, right? And so Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is kind of a microcosm. It's a, it's a snapshot. It's the table of contents for this whole, whole book. But now flip over to chapter 8. Now flip over to chapter 8. As you know, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Pentecost, uh, the, that, that first Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out, thousands of souls are added to the Lord and day by day, the church was growing by leaps and bounds. And by the time you come to Acts chapter 8, by the time you come to Acts chapter 8, you start to notice that there was an unwillingness of, of God's followers to break beyond Jerusalem. You kind of get this idea that they're getting real comfortable with church growth. You start to get the idea that they're getting really excited about seeing everything happening right where they are and they don't even want to look beyond the walls of their church to, to find out if there's anything else 
that God wants them to do. But by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, something is introduced into the experience of the church. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. The Bible says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. Does anybody know whose death Saul was consenting to? Stephen's. Okay, Stephen was one of the seven deacons, actually, that was preaching the gospel. Saul was consenting to his death. He was being stoned at the time. Verse 1 continues, At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at where? Jerusalem, right? This church was growing by leaps and bounds, and it was just a church at Jerusalem, but now persecution hits. Persecution hits, and notice what happens. Great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all what? Scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except who? Did you catch that detail? So persecution hits this growing church, boom, like a dandelion. You know, when you kick a dandelion, it just kind of spreads all over the place, right? The Christians, the, the Christians in Jerusalem began to scatter except for the apostles, except for the, the leadership of God's people at the time. Interesting, because by the time you get into verse 4, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, notice what those who were scattered were doing. It says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the what? The word. Yes. By the way, according to verse 1, who was it that was scattered? Who was scattered? All believers except who? Except the apostles. And according to this, all believers except the apostles in verse 4, guess what they're doing? They're preaching the word everywhere. Okay? By the way, we're talking about mission in motion. This, my friends, is the church on the move. Okay? The church on the move. This is mission in motion right here. In verse 1, they're on the move because they have to be. But now you see that they're on the move with a mission in mind. They're, they're using this opportunity that the devil meant for harm. They're using it as an opportunity to spread the good news of God. This is powerful. And these are just ordinary people. Can you say amen to that? All right. These weren't people with PhDs up their sleeve. These weren't people necessarily with formal theological training, but they had an experience with Jesus and they wanted to preach the word. Mission in motion. And the story that we're going to look at is the experience of Philip because he was just one of those guys. Just one of those ordinary people. In fact, he was chosen in chapter 6 as a deacon. Someone, you know, in our minds, a deacon, uh, you know, does things of, uh, of background nature, you know, kind of the, the helps that, that just need to be attended to, the, the kinds of ministries that, that maybe um, are obviously all essential, but it's not necessarily upfront roles. But Philip was one of those who, who did those things, and yet he took it upon himself to preach the gospel whenever he had the chance. And here we are in Acts chapter 8. And we're just going to start in verse 26 because Philip was a man who was wide open, okay? Philip was a man who opened wide to God, and we're going to find five avenues of openness. We're going to find five avenues of openness just in this short story here. So if you're writing this down, you can go ahead and, and take some notes. But we're in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. The Bible says, Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. 
How many times this week has an angel of the Lord spoken to you? <laughs> Man, okay, so we've got some hands. Praise the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be great to have an experience in which you are actually receiving divine communication? Wouldn't it be? I've, I've often thought about this. I've often thought, man, wouldn't it be awesome if you were in the wilderness with the children of Israel and you saw the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and you knew exactly where to go and when to go? Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, I read recently, I think it's in Desire of Ages, and she's talking about the Word of God. And she says, when we have the Word of God, it is like the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. (sighs) Friends, for some reason... Maybe, maybe it's just me. I don't know if you resonate with this, but sometimes I don't anticipate that God actually has a word for me right here. But Philip was an individual who actually received divine communication, and the implication of that is that his ear was trained to listen to God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? His ear was actually trained to listen to God, so when God actually spoke to him, he recognized it. He discerned it. He knew that it was God's voice. So here's that first avenue of openness. It's an open connection. An open connection between God and him. It's an open connection. Cross-reference here quickly with me, because in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, there's a really powerful promise. Turn to the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Am I the only one turning there? I don't hear any pages. Isaiah 50, verse 4. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay. Man, maybe you guys are just a lot faster than I am. All right, here we go. Isaiah 50, verse 4. Now, in this prophecy, this is actually a messianic prophecy. That is, it's describing the experience of the Messiah. It's describing the experience that Jesus himself would have. And in verse 4, it says this. The Lord God has given me, speaking of who the Messiah would be, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. In other words, it's describing that Jesus would have this experience that that God would give Jesus such a sharp tongue, such an instructed tongue, a learned tongue, that for any soul that he met, he, would knew exact, he knew exactly how to meet that soul's need with a word in season to him who or her who is weary. And notice the rest of verse 4 because it gives a key of how that was possible for Jesus. It says this, He awakens me how often? Morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. So it wasn't just some supernatural trick that Jesus pulled out of his hat that you and I don't have. It was as God woke Jesus up morning by morning that Jesus had a word in season to give to whoever was weary. Friends, do you realize that this is an experience not only for Jesus, but this can be our experience too? Did you know we can take this promise to the bank and say, God, you did it for Jesus. Please wake me up tomorrow morning. And when you do wake me up, would you please give me a word so that I could speak it in season to him or her who is weary? God wants to do that for us. God will do that for us. And I can just testify. I've taken this promise and and God has woken me up. I, I can say I have an answered prayer every day because I've stopped using an alarm. God is a better alarm clock than my cell phone. It's true. And he'll wake me up at just the right time. Just the right time. 
And I believe that Philip had this open connection that he saw the experience of Jesus, and he said, you know what, I want his experience to be my experience. And I believe Philip had an ear that was open, an open connection with God. All right, we're back to Acts chapter 8. Back to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. So the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Verse 27. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. I love it. I love this. This is so amazing. Can you just put yourselves in the shoes of Philip right now? I mean, he's really literally, he's like, you know, Pathfinders, uh, our, our law, right? Uh, keep a song in my heart and go on God's errands, right? <laughs> so Philip was a man who not just had an open connection, but he had open time to actually obey the Spirit's call. You can write that one down, that second one. That's the second one. Open connection and open time to actually go about God's business, to actually go on God's errands. You see, it's one thing to give God that time in the morning and say, God, tell me what to do. Tell me what I should be doing today. Give me some instructions. But it's a completely different game to actually say, okay, these instructions, I'm going to do it. This this encouragement, I'm going to take it. This rebuke, I'm going to modify my life. This this plan, I'm going to execute it. And Philip, Philip was one who said, yeah, I'll give God the time for that. I'll actually do it. Notice actually in verse 30 how he does it. Notice Acts chapter 8 verse 30, the Bible says, so Philip drug his feet to the chariot. Is that what the Bible says? No. Do you see that? So Philip ran. Philip ran. I have no idea how old he was. I don't know how, you know, what what the condition of his bones and joints were, but whatever it was, he knew God's instruction and he was all about it. Full throttle. He ran to the chariot. No hesitation. I don't see any hesitation there. And it reminds me of that uh, that experience that Isaiah had. Do you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, there's a vision that, that Isaiah records. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees these cherubim flying over and saying, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah feels, woe is me for I am. Do you remember that vision? Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord and, and God removes his transgressions. And then Isaiah hears a voice calling out and it says who will go for us whom shall i send do you remember what isaiah's response was in isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 he said pick me pick me (laughs) right he he said here i am send me when he heard that voice he didn't run around a corner and just he didn't look over his shoulder is god talking to somebody else back there no he said here i am why because he was eager because he had seen god on his throne and if god is on his throne surely he knows what he's up to that's why philip could be so eager because he he understood that this instruction wasn't his fancy this is actually something that the god of heaven was telling him to do. And that actually gave him eagerness. That actually gave him boldness. I don't know how many of us have ever sensed what we think God should, or what we think God wants us to do in a particular situation, 
and then we hesitate. Has anybody ever had that experience where you know, like your, your heart or your mind is pricked, maybe I, should, maybe I should say something right now, or maybe I should go over there right now, maybe I should pick up the phone and call, and then, you know, you have that sensation or you have that impression, and then you hesitate. Has anybody ever experienced that? Yeah, 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 me too. And the reason why I often hesitate is, well, what if that person doesn't really want to hear from me right now? Or what if uh, this isn't the right time? How did Philip, how did Philip have just this, this Boy Scout eagerness to go after it, right? <laughs> I believe it came just from the acknowledgement that something supernatural was happening. I think Philip had a faith that said, you know what? The God of heaven is on my side. Think about this. Think about this. Uh, there's angels all around us, right? The angels are described as ministering spirits. They encamp around us. That means I have an angel, and friend A has an angel too. <laughs> that means if God has put it on my heart to say a word in season to him, that means it's not just me and him, it's me, my angel, and his angel that wants that to happen. We're the majority in that case, right? <laughs> But I can have boldness about that because, look, hey, the angels are all about this too. And it's not just the ministry of the angels. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that in verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip. So it wasn't just the ministry of an angel that was speaking to Philip in verse 26, but it was also the ministry of the Spirit speaking to Philip. And so Philip ran. Philip was eager beaver. He was all about it. Friends, let me read you this this. Uh, this the statement from the book called Evangelism. In Evangelism, page 127 and 128, it says this, There is far more being done by the universe of heaven than we have any idea of in preparing the way so that souls shall be converted. I know that was a really, really long sentence. Maybe I'll read it again. There is far more being done by the universe of heaven than we have any idea of in preparing the way so that souls shall be converted. If you and I are ever struck with this hesitancy, like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be even effective. I don't know if this is the right time. I don't even know if they'd be open to this. Friends, the whole universe of heaven is on your side to prepare that heart for that moment. So why be afraid? Of course Philip would run. Of course Philip would run if he had that open connection and that open time to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want. All right. This is heaven's joy. It'll be my joy too. <laughs> so he runs. He runs. All right. We're, we're reading on in the story. We've got an open connection and an open time. Notice with me there's something else. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him. And what are the next two words? And heard him. So Philip ran to him and heard him. When Philip was all about the instructions of God, he didn't just go up to the individual and blurt out anything that came to his heart and mind. First, he listened. And I don't know if maybe, we, maybe some of us have a hard time with this, but maybe it, it would be good counsel for us that before we even say a word, we would listen to a word first. You realize that we have one mouth and how many ears? Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's a reason for that. So Philip had an open connection. 
he had open time, and he also had open ears. He had open ears, or maybe we could say he had open eyes too, because notice he's, he's starting to gather observations before he just kind of imposes his agenda upon this, this guy that he's never met. Notice verse 30, it says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand what you're reading? So here's another openness, avenue of openness. He had an open connection, open time, open ears. But look at this. He's got open questions, too. Before he starts preaching a sermon to this guy that he's never met, he asks a question just to open up more doors to his heart. He asks an open question. Very, very simple. I mean, these are just simple principles of, of human interaction. But, but friends, this is very, very practical. Philip actually expressed a genuine interest, a desire to understand the person before he tried to instruct the person. And how is it when we try to go on missions of mercy or go on God's errands, friends, do you, do you have the humility of heart to recognize that first maybe I should open my ears and open some questions before I open my mouth? <laughs> are, are, are we following that, yes or no? Yeah? Philip is, is giving us a good example. Simple questions, they lead, they're basically door openers. And this is, this is just a simple principle of communication. God himself demonstrates this principle too. Do you notice how often God asks questions? I mean, think about it. God asking a question. Why would God ask a question, right? When he comes into the garden in the cool of the day after Adam and Eve have picked of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what's the first thing out of God's mouth? Is it a rebuke? No. It's a question. Where are you, right? Does God know the answer to that question, yes or no? Of course he does, but he's using it as a way to engage the heart. Sometimes maybe you feel like you have a hard time connecting with somebody. Ask an open question and see what happens after that. God does this over and over. Jesus himself does this. Actually, Jesus does this when people ask him questions. <laughs> Rather than just kind of giving a response, kind of satisfying their, their curiosity, he actually asks questions back. And it gives Jesus a chance to really see what's behind the question. And sometimes that's all it, all it takes. A simple question, an honest question, not an interrogation, okay? That's not what we're talking about. Where were you on the night of the fifth? You know, no, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about, hey, so, you know, what's, what's your religious background? Or um, how, how do you understand this or that? Or how did you hear about the seminar? You know, whatever the situation might be, whatever the context, it's just a simple open question that gives you a chance to engage the heart. And here, God himself does it, and Philip does it too. And so here we've got a list of four, right? We're counting along. Open connection, open time, open ears or eyes, and an open question. And now comes the open mouth. Okay, now comes the open mouth. That's the fifth one. Let's keep reading in verse 30 again. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you were reading and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 33. In his humiliation, 
his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Does anybody know what prophecy this eunuch is reading from at this point? Isaiah chapter 53, which is all about, guess who? Jesus, the suffering servant. Jesus, the Lamb of God. What better place do you realize that the whole universe of heaven was at work to prepare the way for the conversion of this soul? This is awesome. Philip is just having front row seats to the miracles of God, and he was running to it. And now in verse 34, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Notice, Philip asked the question first. Now the, another question is being asked back. Now the door is being opened for Philip to open his mouth. And in verse 35, the Bible says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Oh, I love it. Remember that text that we read at the very beginning, Psalm 81, verse 10? Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Philip was experiencing it. At this point, he just opened his mouth wide and God filled it with the words that this eunuch needed. Unscripted, unedited, but totally inspired by the Holy Spirit. Friends, do you realize that if you ever feel hesitant about what you should say or how to say it, or maybe you're like me and you overanalyze what you should be saying and you're like constantly editing in your mind, no, I'll say it like this, no, I'll say it like that, and then that just kind of keeps you in your seat the whole time. <laughs> Friends, Philip is just going to open his mouth and that's exactly what he does and he begins at that scripture to preach Jesus to him. That's actually very key. Notice again, just lock your eyes on that phrase in verse 35, and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. There's two keys right there for this opening your mouth. For Philip, when he opened his mouth, he began where the conversation was. In other words, when he opened his mouth, he did it in context. He did it in context. He took, what, he took the situation, he took that scenario, he took what it was they were focusing on, and he used it as a springboard. He didn't totally just ignore it. He didn't totally uh, just bypass it as if it was insignificant and just get onto his own idea or own agenda. He took what the eunuch was concerned with, and so he opened his mouth in context. Does that make sense, everybody? Yes or no? To, I mean, because we can have conversations with people. Uh, maybe you're in, in the cafeteria or in the classroom or whatever it might be. You're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, man, I should really say something. I should really say something. And you're not listening to what that individual is talking about, about their home life or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden there's a silence in the conversation and you just kind of blurt in, <laughs> uh, totally ignoring. They've just been pouring out their hearts to you. Like that's totally out of context, right? That, that would be an example of being out of context. And how well would that go over? Obviously not well at all. The individual would be shut down because they feel like they haven't even been listened to at all. And so Philip, he opens his mouth, but he does it in such a way that he's taking uh, the situation that the eunuch has just been finding himself in, and he launches from there. So he does it in context, but notice he doesn't just stay in the context. He doesn't just stay there. The Bible says in verse 35, and beginning at this scripture preached what to him? Jesus to him. 
Did he preach the mark of the beast to him? Did he preach 666 to him? Did he preach the seven trumpets or the seven seals to him? Okay, obviously, you know where I'm going with this. He preached Jesus. So he began in context, and he headed for the cross. He began where the individual was, and praise the Lord, he was already thinking along lines that would naturally lead him to Jesus. But he began in context and headed cross-country, so to speak. Wherever we land in the Bible, wherever we land in hearing other people's stories, my friends, it's not a far distance from that individual's story to the story of Calvary. It's not too far of a distance from that individual's story to the story of how you've experienced the power of Jesus in your own life. And for Philip, it was the natural step for him to take. I'll take this and go straight for the cross. Friends, I think we all need to learn a lesson about being cross-eyed, so to speak, okay? Being so focused on the cross that wherever we land in Scripture, wherever we land in someone's scenario, whatever we land in, 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 in conversation, the only thing we can think about is, you know what Jesus has done for me in this way? When I was experiencing this, I've found that Jesus... Philip went cross-country. He was focused on the cross. Are you seeing how Philip's mouth could easily be opened wide? Because it wasn't about himself. It was about Jesus. When we open our mouths wide, God fills it, and he fills it with the testimony of who Jesus is. That's a powerful thing. Because when it's personal, it's powerful, and it's real. That means that we can simply be a witness of what Jesus has done for us. I said it before, you don't need a a seminary degree in order to tell a story about what Jesus has done for you. All it requires is a real experience. It's a real experience. Woman at the well, real experience, yet she hold, I mean, she didn't have any training, but she brought a whole city to Jesus' feet. (laughs) The demoniac, right? Demoniac in Mark chapter 5, he was put in his right mind. He wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus says, no, 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 you should go home and tell what great things the Lord has done for you. By the time he comes back to the Decapolis, the whole whole surrounding region is ready to receive Jesus. And that demoniac only had five minutes, I don't know, 15 minutes with Jesus. He had a real experience. And because of that, he could head cross-country. He could preach Jesus. Uh, Maybe it's a one-liner. Remember that blind man in John chapter 9? I love that story. In John chapter 9, there's a blind man that's healed. He's brought before the Pharisees, and they're, they're asking him all sorts of questions. Okay, so who did this, really? How'd you, how is it that, were you really born blind? And then they brought his parents, right? You remember this? The blind man says, hey, look, where this guy is from, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. You may not have a whole 15-minute sermon to preach, and I don't think a friend would really appreciate a 15-minute <laughs> sermon to preach, but you may have a one-liner saying, I was, but now. Do you see the story? Philip opened his mouth wide, and when he did, he preached Jesus. Plain, simple, powerful. So he's got an open connection. He's got open time. He's got open ears and an open question. And then when it was time, he opened his mouth. 
Friends, I believe God wants us to experience a, a life that's wide open in this way. Do you, do you see that? I mean, I, I don't know if I'm the only one. I want to be wide open to God so he can fill my life and use my life for the glory of God. The result of this story, we can read the rest of this story in verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? No one had to make an appeal. No one had to have him fill out a decision card. <laughs> he just went for it. He said, hey, look, there's water. I'm getting in. Verse 37. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip's simple testimony of who Jesus was led the eunuch to declare a similar testimony. I believe it. Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 38, So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Praise the Lord. Verse 39, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. This is a crazy story. Now notice verse 40, But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I don't know how many days I can say I've had an experience like Philip, but I would love to have more days like that. <laughs> I would love to know that I'm right here because the Spirit of the Lord brought me here. Friends, I believe that, that God has been reminding me that, that He is actually at work. And maybe I just haven't been recognizing it. And the same is true, I believe, for each and every one of us, that the Spirit of the Lord has divine appointments all around us. Are we wide open? Are we wide open? Man, this is the joy of the Lord. I, 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 I can just only imagine how big the smile was on Philip's face. Think about that experience. Okay, I'm going to this road because the Spirit of the Lord told me to, and now that I'm done, whoop! <laughs> I'm somewhere else, whoo! I'll keep on preaching. You know, I just kind of imagine it. Anyways, Maybe it's just my, my Broadway uh, imagination. Anyways, okay. So here's Philip. He finds the joy of the Lord, all because he's wide open to God. Friends, simple story, but I believe that, uh, that God wants us to find ourselves in that story. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it would look like. If, uh, you know, we started Acts chapter 8, it starts with this picture of persecution, and it looks like things are going for a downturn for the church, but then, but then they're scattered all over the place, and now this happens. You know, everybody individually is preaching the word of God, and Philip's experience is just one of probably countless thousands. Can you imagine what it would be like if the gospel in Modesto was not just contingent upon the effectiveness of a handful of ministers, I think it would look like this. Don't you think? I think it would look like Philips, who are wide open to God, going on divine appointments, person by person. It doesn't have to be masses. It doesn't have to be masses. Actually, I've, I've often, you know, like when I was growing up um, in high school and stuff, I was really, really just um, captured 
by the promise of Matthew 24, verse 14, where it says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end shall come. I don't know if that gets your fire going, but it's true. This is a promise. When the gospel is spread to all the world, then the end shall come. And I was captured by that, and I thought to myself, man, we just need more pastors. We need more Mark Finleys. We need more Doug Batchers. Friends, think about that. If we're just depending on a handful of individuals, how quickly is that going to happen? Actually, uh, someone was crunching some numbers, maybe someone who had a little bit sharper mind than I, But here are some statistics. Imagine this scenario. 10,000 churches reaching 1,000 people per year. Pretty successful, right? Each each of those 10,000 churches reaching 1,000 people per year. That that would be a pretty effective church. 10,000 churches reaching 1,000 people per year. It would take 600 years to reach 6 billion people. And that's the population of the earth, right? Or thereabouts. It would take 600 years to reach 6 billion people, and that's not even taking into account population growth. So it would never happen. (laughs) Do you you see what I'm saying? 10,000 churches reaching 1,000 people per year where we think that's successful, but it takes 600 years for it? It would would never happen, even if we keep adding 135 million a year. But here's another scenario. How about this scenario? One person reaching one person a year. One person reaching one person a year, and the next year, that person is reaching another person, and this person is reaching another person. All right, so let's think about that, just kind of incremental growth here. One person reaching one person a year, teaching them to do the same thing. This method would reach 8.5 billion people after, guess how many years? 33. After 33 years. That's one generation. This gospel of the kingdom could be preached to this generation if each and every one of us were Phillips. (laughs) After 33 years, 8.5 billion people. After 34 years, um, excuse me, after 35 years, 34 billion people. It's exponential. It's exponential. I don't know. Maybe this is just pie-in-the-sky stuff. Maybe this is just numbers and statistics. But I believe that God has demonstrated to us uh, the early church's experience was person by person, one life at a time, life on life. And it, were, it was lives that were wide open to God. So how does this land with you? Which of those five avenues of openness is the avenue of openness that you want to seek after hard this week. You've got open connection with God. Taking that time, allowing God to wake you up morning by morning and instruct you, give you a word that you can kind of tuck away. And maybe that's a word that someone needs that day. That open connection with God. Maybe it's open time. Ability to drop the hat and say, yes, I'll go. I'll even run. (laughs) Here I am, send me. Open connection, open time. Maybe for you, it's the avenue of open ears. Maybe you realize you haven't really been paying attention to people. Like Jesus, you know, the gospel, is, the gospel writers are very clear to market when, when Jesus sees an individual. It's not just, it's, it's not just a, a, 
a light detail. Jesus actually looked at people. Jesus actually watched people. Have you ever gotten into that mode where, I don't know, in in public places at the mall or at school or in in the workplace, you just kind of get in this mode where you don't really look people in the eye? Have you noticed that? (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, maybe it's it's motivated because you're just trying to be polite. You don't want people to feel like you're staring at them or whatever. (laughs) You don't want to be intrusive. And maybe you're, you're positively motivated by that, but, but it's really kind of developed this habit of ignoring people. You're going through the grocery store. Why not smile and make eye contact, right? But Jesus saw people. The disciples saw people. I think that's something that God wants us to recapture too. Open eyes, open ears. So what is it for you? Open connection, open time, open ears or eyes, open questions. Or maybe it's simply opening your mouth, starting in context and heading for the cross. I, I once was lost, but now am found. Yeah. Do you sense God instructing you about something today? What is it for you? What is it for you? What I'd like to do is, is bow our heads together for prayer. And uh, I would just give you permission to lift up your heart in personal prayer to God. If there is a specific avenue of openness that you really want to seek God about, that you would just lift that up in prayer as a silent prayer. So let's, let's just bow our heads for, for a minute or two. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the story of Philip and his openness to you. And God, uh, we want to pray specifically for the openness that that needs encouraging, and that needs pursuit this week in our own lives. So just in the silence of our hearts, please hear the petitions of our hearts. Please hear, God, how it is that we want to be wide open to you. Father, I pray that you would, you would take these desires of our hearts and actually make them reality. Um, there's a promise in Psalm 37. It says, God will give us the desires of our hearts when we delight ourselves in him. And so, Lord, we want to take you at your word. We desire openness. We know you want to give it to us. So please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, please make us wide open to you. God, in the next few weeks, you know, we have the opportunity, uh, even here with the Prophecies of Hope Seminar, just to connect with people. We pray for openness in that arena. Father, I pray for openness in our workplaces. Some of us are thinking right now of individuals that, that, that you've been prompting us to connect with. And Lord, help us to realize that the pressure is not ours to create those moments, but it's yours. And so when you do, help us to run. <laughs> Maybe it's in the classroom at school, on the playground, what, in our neighborhoods, whatever the arena, Lord, we just pray that we would be wide open to you. And we thank you in advance for the ways that Jesus is going to be preached, for the ways that Jesus will be lifted up, for the souls that will be converted because all of the universe of heaven has been preparing the way for that. So Lord, cause us to go on your errands today. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen.